Welcome to Maris and Miller's new flagship, Let's Talk Pensions podcast, featuring conversations with experts on pension planning and management. We discuss the state of pensions, why the environment is changing, and the crucial thinking around generational equality. We also discuss topics such as leadership, the will to manage, and taking a business-minded approach to pensions. Let's Talk Pensions podcast is a Maris and Miller open pension initiative. And now, on to our guest. Welcome to episode six of the Let's Talk Pensions podcast. In this episode, we talk with Elizabeth Brown and Tara Klink of BMKP Law, a firm that focuses solely on pension benefits and executive compensation. Elizabeth and Tara are both senior lawyers at the firm. Elizabeth appears as counsel on pension litigation disputes and has extensive experience advising on large corporate transactions, including insolvencies, mergers and acquisitions, and reorganizations. She provides ongoing advice to provincially and federally regulated plan sponsors and administrators on jointly sponsored pension plans, defined benefit and defined contribution plans, and savings and profit-sharing plans. The Ontario Bar Association honored Elizabeth with the 2017 Award of Excellence in Pensions and Benefits Law. Tara has over 20 years experience advising both provincially and federally regulated employers and plan administrators, primarily in the private sector, on all legal issues relating to DB and DC pension plans and benefit plans, including governance, fiduciary responsibilities, plan administration and regulatory compliance, funding requirements, pension fund investment and surplus utilization. Tara has a wealth of experience advising private sector employers restructure their legacy DB pension arrangements, including investment restructuring and de-risking initiatives, plus plan mergers and plan wind-ups. Tara has extensive experience advising on pension and benefit matters in corporate transactions, including mergers and acquisitions, insolvencies, and restructuring. Thanks for listening to episode number six, and now on to our interview with Tara and Elizabeth. Hi, Tara and Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brienne. Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks for being here. We're excited to have you today. So to start off with, I'd like you to both share why you chose to focus on the pension industry within the legal fields. And maybe we'll start with Elizabeth. Sure. Um, I, as a junior, many years ago, I was practicing civil litigation at a big national firm in downtown Toronto. And I started to hear about pension and benefits law. And I was really quite intrigued. The Ontario government had introduced sweeping pension reform and the income tax regulations governing registered pension plans were just being passed. And I loved that this was a relatively new practice area for lawyers and that the problems and the solutions were novel, often complex, always had a human element that had to be taken into account and involved the intersection of many different areas of law and many different professions. 
And actually, it's still that way today, 30 years later, interestingly enough. And my story is similar to Elizabeth's in many respects, but a little bit different. So I went to law school at Western in London. At the time, Eileen Gleese, who is now Madam Justice Gleese, was Associate Dean. And she had a tremendous reputation of being just a wonderful teacher. So in my final year, I enrolled in her pension course solely really for the experience of having her as a teacher. At the time, pensions was just an, an emerging area of the law. I think there was probably 10 cases that we reviewed during the year, and, and of course today there's hundreds of cases. But like Elizabeth, um, once I was exposed to the area of law, I was really hooked. I loved when I took the course, and I love today that pension covers so many different areas of the law. Our days are, are really varied, and it's, it's a great area to be in. Thank you both for sharing. It sounds like you're both really passionate about what you do. <laughs> so what approach do you take to help your clients manage risk? And why is paying attention to the law as important as managing risk from an actuarial perspective? So maybe I'll take that one. Um, there are lots of different risks faced by employers and administrators. I think what we often think of in the pension context is uh, balance sheet risk or financial risk, but, but I really wouldn't leave it there. You know, employers face human resources and work-face needs, so attracting employees, retaining employees, making sure older employees have enough retirement income so they actually leave the workforce. Those are, those are risks our clients face every day as well. Um, there's, there's competitive issues, you know, employers are really concerned about making sure, making the most out of their compensation envelope. Employers face reputational risks if things go wrong. There's compliance risks, having to deal with the regulators, and there's litigation risks. Um, and, and there's lots more than that, but it, but it is really important just to be looking at the entire picture. And when we're when we are assessing risk, one of the ways in which we do this is we really make an effort to get to know our client's business and their objectives over the long term and so that we can assist them. And when you, when you have a particular project or a transaction, always one or more of these is at the forefront and it becomes your driving force. But we think it's really important, and this comes into your point, Brianne, about the, the legal versus actuarial perspective. Um, it's really important to identify all of the risks up front and then prioritize to the extent possible and find solutions that address the key risks and, and those corollary risks that come along as you go. And I think Tara has a really good example of that in Selco. Yeah, so, so all of us here, um, or most of us, had worked on the restructuring of Selco a number of years ago. And the driving risk of that project was the company was uh, struggling financially. It needed a purchaser, but no purchaser was willing to take on the balance sheet risks associated with the traditional defined benefit plan. So that was the primary risk that you know really put the four corners around the project. So we got working on trying to find ways to restructure the pension and benefit plans to address those risks. And then, of course, when you're going through the project, all of the other risks that we talk about come to light. 
So it was important um, working with unions and retirees to make sure their interests got taken into account. Uh, there was technical legal risk. The government and the regulator was involved to make sure the restructuring was fine from their perspective. And at the end of the day, we were able to achieve a result that really did address all of these risks. Um, and very important that was that retirees benefits, they preserve their pensions and benefits. Hmm, thank you. Uh, your firm BMKP Law was founded in 2017 and focuses solely on pension benefits and executive compensation. I'd love to hear more about the firm. Sure, so why don't I start with that? So we had four founding partners and we had worked together for many years uh, on many projects and we really enjoyed working with each other and we, we worked well together as a team. Um, and over the years, you know, given the specialized nature of pensions, we often found ourselves working on big projects, sometimes with other law firms, litigation files and insolvency files, or, or with other partners with actuarial firms. So uh, we looked at the Canadian market and we realized there were no other employer slash administrator uh, boutiques out there practicing exclusively in the pension and benefits and executive compensation area. So we, we, saw, we thought that there was an unfulfilled need or a good business opportunity, depending how you look at it, and we thought uh, we, would, we would give it a go. So uh, we started with the four founding partners, and we now have eight lawyers. So we do act as pension advisors to a lot of other law firms, as I mentioned, uh, employment lawyers, corporate lawyers, litigators, tax lawyers. And then in addition to that, we have what I would call um, uh, a, a core set of long-standing employers and administrators that we've advised directly on pension and benefit matters for many years. And just to finish on this, this topic, which is one of our favorite topics about BMKP law, <laughs> we've also had the opportunity as a boutique and a very specialized boutique to do things um, administratively a little bit differently and in the way we've structured our firm. So just as an example, Tara mentioned we have eight lawyers now. So we have the four founding partners. We have two associates who I would say are traditional partner track type associates. And then we have two other lawyers who are quite experienced and senior, both each in their own way and, and who have um, requested to be referred to as counsel, so kind of on a non-partner track, at least for the time being. And because we're small and because we really um, were quite open to operating in a different way, we're, we were able to accommodate both of those people and those individuals who really wanted to be working in the area they love and are passionate about, but on a, on a basis that suited them. So we've been really lucky um, in that we're able to do that. We have incredibly deep industry experience, which we think is important, and we think that adds a practical component to our advice. A couple of us have worked in a big pension fund. A number of us had our start in consulting firms, and then we've also got you know big law firm experience. So it's a really interesting group, and we've carried that right through to our staff too. We don't have a lot of traditional um, legal secretaries or assistants. We are paperless, which is pretty good for a law firm. And um, 
we have a really good staff group, which really primarily consists of recent university graduates who are very tech savvy and love to jump in with both feet and, and help us in any way they can. As somebody who has worked in a law firm in the past, I can say that the paperless thing <laughs> is, I feel like you could be the only firm in, in the country that has adopted that. It sounds like you're extremely unique in the pension industry and in the law industry. I think so, yeah. We're trying, we're trying to be. We, we feel empowered. <laughs> That's great. Um, so there's been a lot of pension innovation in the recent years. Could you share your thoughts on this? Yeah, why don't, why don't I start again with that? It's a bit of a cliche, but when, when you look at innovation, um, it's usually driven by necessity. And so if you, if, you, if you look at the Canadian history of pension plans, you can see where the innovation is coming from. So, you know, at the highest level, you know, the goal of a pension is to provide retirement benefits to employees. And the historical model of a workplace pension plan in Canada was the defined benefit plan. And of course, as we've, we've seen, it's certainly been highlighted in, in more recent years, the traditional DB plan has proven to be problematic for many employers. Increased life expectancy um, is, is a stressor, low interest rates, and I think you'd be hard-pressed not to find a Canadian employer, particularly in the private sector, that um, would say that DB plans in the traditional form are, are sustainable. So there was a move away from DB plans, and it seemed to be a large push to DC plans, and now that they've been around a while, we're certainly seeing, you know, lots of discussion as to where DC plans fall short. And, you know, primarily what we hear about that is in the decumulation phase, they're just not equipped to give people a steady income or, or that they have the amount of income they need for the remainder of their life. So we really see a lot of the innovation comes from solving the problems with those traditional pension plans. For example, um, one of the areas that I work a lot in now is the jointly sponsored defined benefit plan model, which it, we see in Ontario and also in other jurisdictions. They're a little bit different depending on what jurisdiction you're in. The innovation in this model shows, though, a number of new approaches that can be taken to risk sharing and intergenerational equity, which is a big challenge for a DB plan. And one of the ones that I particularly think is effective is funded conditional indexation provisions, where the indexing for retirees gets adjusted based on the funded status of the plan. And this kind of an innovative uh, provision, I think, functions as a really effective lever against increased contributions or reduced benefits for active members. So that's just one example I've seen in the DB space. Yeah, and on the DC side, uh, I spent a lot of time last this past year working on a, on a big DC plan project and what we're trying to you know, build a better DC plan. So what we're trying to do is put features into that DC plan so it look, looks more like a DB benefit, providing um, continuous income. And of course, on the DC side, we also saw really important changes to the Income Tax Act last year that are gonna allow people to defer some of their DC income or their DC account balances to deal again with the better decumulation. 
So as you navigate the changing landscape in pensions and, you know, multiple options now of, of types of pensions, what approach do you take to help your clients manage risk? And why is paying attention to the law as important as managing risk from an actuarial perspective? Um, so why don't I try to start with that one? Uh, I think there are lots of different types of risks. I think it's um, very much like we were talking about earlier, there are many, many different risks. And I think the best way that we know how to address the legal risk, you know, in addition to the actuarial perspective, is to just make sure that that is always at the forefront or that that's, that's not forgotten. So what we like to do right at the beginning of a project, and particular, particularly where there's a big actuarial or financial component, is meet with and, and have a real partnership with the actuarial firm and talk about their perspective and their issues and then use that as a, a building block or a springboard to um, identify, highlight the legal and compliance risks and then be part of the, part of the solution team. It's kind of, um, I think it's really important to partner. And, and I mean, you know, people often ask us, how do, you, how do you work well with actuaries? And so one of the things that we really like to see is where the actuary can be brought into the situation early to get their perspective. And there's always a shared and a differing perspective from the actuarial input that makes for a much better outcome for the client. So I really think that all of this issue around managing risk comes down to bringing the right multidisciplinary team to the table, making sure that you've identified what those risks are, and then doing a problem-solving, um, bringing a problem-solving approach to everything you do, which um, as we know as lawyers, we're, we, we don't want to be the, the person that's saying, no, 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 you can't do it. Um, but we also want to make sure that um, when innovative things are being done or where risk is being handled, it's being handled in a way that um, the client can feel comfortable that they're compliant and, and on the right side of the law. Hmm. So for a business manager that doesn't really understand the, the differences between your role and an actuarial role, can you talk about um, how it is different? Well, I think as, as, as Tara often says, clients need both actuaries and lawyers. <laughs> In broad strokes, the actuaries work on the numbers and we work on the law, but really the important piece there is that the advice has to come together in, a, in an integrated way. It's not helpful to a client to have siloed advice from an actuary and from a lawyer. And I think the way we often talk to clients about what the lawyer brings to the table that's different is um, sometimes it's very practical, like our advice is privileged. Um, and, and, if, and if it's a very sensitive matter, sometimes a, a discussion with the lawyer is a, a really important way to have that conversation. But I, I think that clients are generally becoming much more comfortable now than they were even 20 years ago with the differences between what the actuary brings to the table and what the lawyer brings. I mean, let's, we all know this. The actuaries have occupied this field long before lawyers. And we're, you know, so we're kind of the Johnny come lately's, but I think we're really, really important to the picture. And we often, you know, it, sometimes a client will come to us with what they think is a legal problem. And we often, you know, very early on say, yes, but let's meet with the actuary so that there's not different facts or considerations. 
so that you're getting the best possible holistic advice that you can get. Yeah. Hmm. It's about seeing the big picture and working together to make that happen. Absolutely. And, and not, um, not, not working in silos, I think is the biggest, the biggest advice. So in 2019, it was found that in the UK, the teacher's pension scheme and RPP does not provide gender parity for the deceased beneficiaries of its members. Widows of male teachers over 50 years of age get more in survivor benefits than the widowers of female teachers with the same years of service, and similar disparities were found for same-sex spouses. While changes are being made at present, the reality is that there are many such invisible inequities in long-term plans that have remained hidden until members discover them. I, I took that quote from um, one of our latest pension papers that's coming out about pension parity. Why do you think that parity still exists in pension plans and how can we leverage the law to change this? So I'll come, I'll come back to that. Um, but my first comment really is, you know, parity is a very big concept and it can be looked at from a lot of angles. I would say our biggest parity issue in Canada today is coverage. You know, less than 25% of the Canadian workforce in the private sector has workplace pension plans. Um, and then, you know, when we look at employees that actually have coverage, there's huge inequality between the private sector and the public sector. And then, but you can take that a step further because, you know, looking at pensions in isolation doesn't tell the whole story uh, from the worker's perspective when you look at things like wages as well. So I think that there is lots of innovation in the pension plan, uh, sorry, in the, in the um, pension industry to deal with the, the parity of workplace plans. And I think that's an area where, we're gonna, where we are going to see improvement over the coming years. Um, the example you talked about, to me, really harkens um, to the day of the old DB era where there were uh, rich joint survivor benefits uh, provided to, to people that were married at the time of retirement. And, and I would say certainly what we see now more is we see employers and employees far more attuned to these issues and they themselves really are changing the design of the plan so we don't see inequities that we would have seen in the past. And I think the other practical reality is, you know, with, um, with the financial constraints we see today, a lot of the plan features that gave rise to disparity are being done away with because they're expensive features of a plan. And then I'd, I'd say, you know, more generally, we really have seen changes to the laws over the years to deal with issues like this. When I started practicing, you, you couldn't provide a JNS spouse to, uh, sorry, a JNS pension to a same-sex spouse. And the law changed to address that. So I do think we will see statutory changes from time to time in addition to the more holistic changes in norms and workplace practices. 
What, in your opinion, constitutes good governance of a pension plan and how do organizations choose the right board of trustees? Let me talk about this. Governance is one of my favorite topics. So thank you for asking that question. Pension governance has become a priority for every pension entity, whether it's a single employer plan or a multi-employer plan or a jointly sponsored or some other shared risk kind of plan. I think it's, I think it's number one on, on many lists. My own recent experience, um, it, which is quite extensive, is with the multi-employer jointly sponsored pension plan model, which I mentioned earlier in this, um, in this interview. And we're currently involved in the creation of a large new JSPP in Ontario. Establishing the governance structure for this plan has been both exciting and challenging, sometimes frustrating, partly because the pension industry, I think, is on the cusp of moving governance to the next level. What was the norm in the establishment of a board of trustees for a plan 25 years ago is not the norm today. Pension boards are increasingly built on the basis of jointly arrived at competencies and attributes and skills with the principle of independence at the very forefront. An independent chairperson selected by employers and members together, often following a rigorous search process, is a best practice we now see in the JSPP space, and I think that's borrowed from corporate governance. It's a real and very important alternative to the old rotating chair format that used to dominate in multi-employer pension plans. Other lessons from corporate board governance, such as transparency and decision-making, um, good committee structures, and education for the trustees about the role and function of an oversight board make for a much better, more effective board. Thank you. So with everything we've talked about, what do you think needs to be changed in the pension industry and what changes would you recommend? Why don't I start with that one? I, I think I'd start off by uh, giving uh, our regulators uh, a thank you. <laughs> we have had lots of important changes in recent years. So as I mentioned earlier, um, in the DC context, the Income Tax Act has recently been changed to have new payment vehicles. So the ALDA is going to allow for the deferral of account balances, and the VPLA is going to allow for pooling of DC accounts to make it look more like a DV plan. We've had changes to the solvency funding rules, which were really responsive to what employers asked for. And uh, we've seen a lot of consolidation to, to deal with bigger structural issues. And then I think, I mean, this, uh, in some ways, it's a, it's a smaller issue. It's not a structural issue. But, you know, for many years, our employer clients have been really frustrated with the way they have to deliver communications. And just this year, we've had a really big change that employers are now going to be able to deliver uh, communications electronically in Ontario. So we have seen a lot of change. This is Elizabeth. Maybe I'll end with a couple of our wish lists wishes for change since you've asked about it, Brianne. Great, thank you. The multi-jurisdictional pension plan is an important outstanding initiative. I can't tell you how long this has been on the agenda of everybody across the country, but the lack of harmonization uh, in pension legislation really is a disincentive. It's a big disincentive to private sector employers maintaining plans, be they DB or DC, mostly obviously the DB space is the problem. We also think that changes that encourage coverage and, and related to the first point 
should be prioritized. So when we're looking at changes in the law, they really need to address the fact that we don't have a lot of pension coverage in this country and that um, any changes that are made should always be made with a view to encouraging increased coverage. Thank you so much. Um, I have one more question for you. Uh, how can our audience learn more about you and what's the best way to talk or to contact you? So we have a, a website, bmkplaw.com, and it would tell all of your listeners a little bit about what we do, the areas of our practice. So, so that's a great that's a great source to learn a little bit more about us. But of course, we all we love talking about what we do, and um, our phone numbers and emails are on the website. So we we'd be delighted to have your listeners reach out. Our email addresses are really simple. It's our first name, period, last name at bmkplaw.com. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I want to thank, thank you. you both for being on the podcast. I think this has been a great conversation. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to the Let's Talk Pensions podcast, a Marison Miller Open Pension Initiative. To learn more about our firm and to listen to more episodes, please visit our website at www.marismiller.com.